Let's pray together. Our God, we do not fully grasp who you are. We don't grasp who we are. We need the light of your word to remind us, to teach us, to train us, to correct us, to shape us, to get us out of being conformed to the mold of this world, but to be transformed by a different way of thinking, your way, your views, your truth. God, would you take the powerful truth of your word, drive it deep into our hearts, that as we leave this place, even as we talk with one another before we go, that what will be reflected are your thoughts and your words and your ways, not our own. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles with me. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start there, and then we will shift over to our main text for the morning. It's good to see everybody. The Brooks send their greetings. They are uh, in South Carolina for about a week-long uh, family trip and to see friends. Um, Kristen's dad is not in great health, and so uh, this is a, a precious time for them. But I know they miss being here. Um, and uh, so they, they will be back next Sunday, and uh, we're glad for that. But keep them in your prayers. Uh, like I said, they're, they're a bit of a ways away from us. Thank you for joining us on live stream. Uh, I've been watching that the last few weeks. Seems like we got about 15 or 20 families, something like that, uh, each week. So we hope that over time, I think we're all hoping there's a light at the end of the tunnel here, and we, that, that live stream attendance will you know, dive down and we'll all get to be together. But for now, we're thankful for it. It's a great stopgap measure. It's a terrible solution for the long term, but it's great as it comes alongside us and helps us. And uh, so we're glad you're joining us today. We're starting a new series, and it kind of echoes um, the pictures on the back wall of how do we grow together? How do we function together as a church family? And uh, that's where the really creative title, Together, came from. And uh, so we're, we're getting that rolling this week. And I uh, wanted to start by talking about how we see the world together. So before we get into those four ideas, how do we as Christians, as people who are following Jesus, how do we see the world differently than other people. I think we all recognize that our sight is important. Um, the Ritters certainly recognize that our sight is important, right? They're both optometrists. And I went to see Stephen back in November, I think, and uh, just double-checked my prescription, which is still bad, right? If I take my glasses off, then Micah in the back row is just a blur, and uh, he could probably leave and I wouldn't even know. Um, but my sight has been bad since childhood. Uh, I even got to experience some rec specs, if any of you remember those days. Uh, I look pretty great in those, um, but glasses have been a part of my life, some contacts, although I feel like now if I go to contacts, people all kind of look at me like, some Sunday I'll go to contacts and shave my beard at the same time, and then you won't even recognize me. <laughs> like, who's that young, what is going on there? Anyway, but we all understand the importance of our vision and how we see things. Matthew 6, where you are, verse, verse 22, right after talking about the importance of having an eternal perspective, says this. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If you're seeing things the right way, everything will make sense. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It's hard for me to imagine what it would be like to be blind. 
but, but I do know what it's like to not be able to see something clearly. So I want to ask us this morning, how do we see the world we live in? And not how do we see it in theory, and not even how should my spouse or neighbor or the person sitting next to me see it, but how are we really seeing it? Romans 12 tells us that the world is constantly smushing us like Play-Doh into its mold. So don't be shaped by the world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. So, so what that means is we're going to need to hear from God how things really are. Because if we trust our natural senses and what we're hearing and seeing and what people who don't know God are saying, we will not see the world correctly. We'll see it just like everybody all around us. So how do we see the world? There are some primary ways that people see the world. Some people primarily see the world through the lens of their relationships. How do the things happening in the world affect my family and friends? How does, how do, how does it, what, what's happening to them? Some people see the world through an economic lens or their work or their finances. Everything that happens is about how does this affect my bank account or the bottom line? Some people see the world primarily through the political situation. And while those are all natural ways of seeing the world, God actually calls us to see the world differently. Now, that doesn't mean we don't see the world any of those ways. That's human nature, isn't it? We, we see the world through the lens of our marriage or our kids or our job or, or the political situation in our country. But that's not supposed to be the dominant way that we as Christians see the world. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 23. Now, as soon as I say that, I know I'm going to lose some of you. Because you'll be like, oh, I know this one. Whew. I needed a catch-up nap from all the naps I already had this week. This is familiar. I, I really want to encourage you this morning not to check out because it's familiar. I want you to dig in and think, am I actually seeing and living in this reality? So how should we see the world? Well, I think as Christians at a foundational level, it should be this way, that God is at work in his world, the world he created, the world he made, and every one of us are part of his ultimate work in the world. So, so God's work is never isolated to one nation or one place or one person. It's always global and perfectly individual at the same time. So God is at work in his world. He is our shepherd. We are his sheep. Psalm 100 verse 3 sums up this way of seeing the world. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You know, even though we live in Riverton, Riverton is not our pasture. Even though we're part of Gospel Hope Church, it's, that's not our primary place. Our primary place is that God is our God and we are his sheep. So, so God can move you out of Riverton and you don't cease to be God's sheep. God can change your church and you don't cease to be his sheep. You're a sheep in his pasture. So let's talk about what that looks like this morning. And Psalm 23, I think, is the best place to go. Let's talk about God as our shepherd. Let's talk about the great shepherd. Look at Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Here's the first reality about God as your shepherd. My great shepherd, and you'll notice I made this intensely personal. My great shepherd feeds me, 
so I can be content. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 37, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. Psalm 84, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Do you know that your provision is not strictly a result of your occupation? You're not provided for because you maxed out your overtime hours. You're not provided for because you made a really smart college choice and you work really hard. You're not provided for because the economic condition of our country is positive and pretty soon it may be negative and so maybe that's gonna... You're provided for, I'm provided for because God is my shepherd. No job loss can take that away from you. No catastrophic illness can take that away from you. I, I mean, we, we live in a society of insurance upon insurance upon insurance. I just want to make sure I'm taken care of. If you know Christ as your Savior, God is taking care of you. Can we just all do like a big sigh? We just all go, ah. And can we leave it there? Another word we could use here is God is providing for me so I can be calm. Do you see what the sheep are doing? He makes me what? Lie down. I'm afraid that with everything that's happened this year, sometimes as Christians, we look no different than everybody else in our society. We're seeing the world the same way everybody else is, and we're all like hair on fire frantic. God is our shepherd. You say, but what about this? God is our shepherd. What about this? God is our shepherd. What about, what could happen next? What if, frantic, panic, trauma, fear. And, And I don't see that to be theatrical. I really believe that that's a lot of what's going on inside of us. And so we need to come back to places like this that are really foundational, that are really simple, that are really clear, and we need to go, do I believe that? My great shepherd feeds me. He provides for me. One of my heroes of the faith is a man named George Mueller. I'm very familiar with George Mueller. How many of you that name rings a bell? If it doesn't, it's no problem. George Mueller lived in the 1800s, and he was a man in England who was a Christian who followed the Lord, and he had a deep care for orphans. And God put that in his heart, and so he just started orphanages. And beyond human explanation, he was a man who just prayed and trusted the Lord, and God provided, he just kept expanding what God was doing through his orphanages. Till it encompassed thousands of children, multiple buildings, huge property, and all of it was provided by God. I wonder sometimes if God keeps our world small because he knows we don't actually believe this, so if he expanded it, we would like triple panic. What do they say? More money, more what? Problems. God is our shepherd. So we should stop worrying and we should start resting. It's actually okay to live in the middle of uncertainty, upheaval, and even injustice because God is our shepherd. It's totally fine. You say, but it's not fine. It is fine. God is your shepherd. We uh, reapplied for health insurance this year. That's awesome, right? Like how many of you have a, a health insurance premium that you're really excited about? It's terrible, isn't it? Micah raised his hand. We all need Micah's job. 
And, and our premiums are going up, which is great because our coverage is getting better, right? And our deductibles are getting lower. And, and God willing, if God, if God provides, we would love to have another child. We don't know if God's going to allow that or not. But what happens if you start thinking down the eventualities of that road, right? We've had, Colleen's had some health difficulties, so we had Timothy by C-section. We would probably have another baby that way. She would have another baby that way. <laughs> I would be there by her side poorly. <laughs> Listen, there are a thousand things in this world for you to be frantic about. But if God is our shepherd, we don't have to figure it all out. Jobs will always be changing. Politicians, I wish more of them would change. Like, vote them all, you know, like. But that's not the world we're supposed to live in. We're supposed to live in the world where God is our shepherd. What else? He restores my soul, verse three. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. My great shepherd leads me, so I will be changed. You might not see that in these verses, but I just want to share with you, there's two key words at the beginning and end of verse 3 and 4. He restores, the Bible says, my soul. And then verse 4 says, they comfort me. Both those words are intensely personal and emotional, and they both have a negative and positive uh, spirit to them. That when God says he restores your soul, he takes you from a bad place, and he puts you in a good place. When it says he comforts you, he takes you from a bad place, and he puts you in a good place. In fact, those two words in other places are translated return or repent. And, and did you see where God wants to lead us? Okay, God does not want to lead us up the corporate ladder. God, God does not want to lead us to family success. God does not want to lead us to bigger bank accounts. Where does God want to lead us? He leads us, verse 3 says, in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do you know what God's trying to do with you? He's not trying to change your circumstances. He's trying to lead you through those circumstances to his ways. He's trying to lead you away from your self-reliance to trust in him. He's trying to lead us away from our sinful habits into habits of righteousness and holiness. He's trying to lead us away from what makes sense to us to what is his way. He's trying to take you from somewhere to somewhere new. And do you know how long he's trying to do that? Until you die. Philippians chapter one tells us that the God who started a good work in us is gonna do what? He's gonna continue it until Christ returns. God is leading you, and so as, as his sheep, we ought to say, I am willing to change. I am here to be changed. All day, every day, next month, next year, God wants to lead me. Sometimes he's going to lead me in places that feel very serene, and sometimes he's going to lead me through places that are really dark. Grief and loss and suffering have a purpose. God's going to use his tools of the trade as a shepherd. You see those? His rod and his staff to protect us, to guide us. He is leading you. And I'll tell you, sometimes it looks like a four-year-old maze, doesn't it? You ever seen a four-year-old fill out a maze? Usually he gets there, but sometimes he cuts over some walls and sometimes he goes the wrong direction and has to redraw it. Do our lives ever feel that way? It's like twisting and turning. It doesn't make any sense. 
You know God has perfect sense of it? He's leading every step of the way. So we should be okay to change. This is the answer to our fear of the evil or the bad things that happen in our lives. Even to our own sins and the weights, Hebrews says, that so easily beset us. God is leading you. He is changing you. Last one, verses three and four, or verses, uh, that should say five and six. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now again, I want us to take these out of the world of that's a nice idea, I can sing that song, into a world of this is what it means to be part of God's shepherding care. What does it mean? It means this. My great shepherd protects me so I can be confident. Can I just tell you something that our culture will never tell you? We have always lived in the middle of risk and danger. Nobody became high risk last year. Being a human being in this world is high risk behavior. I remember last year, uh, the Paskets, Cal and Jill, and Jill may be watching, uh, they were driving home from church on 118th, right over here. And, and if you've been down that road to where it hits Redwood, you know there's like usually a Gospel Hope banner there, and then you make that left turn onto Redwood. And uh, they're driving home. They live like four minutes from here on 13th, uh, 13th West. And they, came, they got in that left turn lane, and they made a left turn, and they got T-boned by somebody who blew a red light. I know that's stunning in the state of Utah that somebody blew a red light. Shocking. Um, but it happened. Here's the crazy thing about their story. They were the second car in line. So the first car got through free and clear, and then somebody, potentially a phone was involved or something, somebody ran the red light late enough to hit them as the second car coming through. Just last week, Jim and Jessica Dahl, who are a newer part of our church family, they're home today because they got some kiddos with colds and stuff. I talked to Jim yesterday. Jessica Dahl sitting at a light, and a drunk driver comes through the intersection and hits the back of their van. Jessica's pregnant. They have little kids in the car. Listen, living in a world <laughs> that God has placed us in is, is a high-risk place to live. It doesn't come and go. We live in the middle of danger and risk. But can I explain something to you? As a part of God's shepherding care, you are 100% safe until it's his time. 100%. Your days are numbered. Matthew says, why do you guys keep worrying? Jesus said this in Matthew. Why do you keep worrying? How many of you can add a year to your own life? You know what the answer is? None of us. None of us can add a day, a week, or a month to our own life. My wife was talking to me about a, a book uh, that came out recently in the health food sector called How Not to Die. I mean, first of all, whatever that guy's selling, I don't know if I even want it. I don't know what I got to eat or how much I got to exercise or, but that's a lie. It, it is impossible for you not to die unless Jesus returns. And under the care of the great shepherd, you are completely safe. Look at what the psalmist says. You prepare a table before me. Where? 
in the presence of my enemies, in the middle of danger, with God as king, he's like, David, hang out and have a feast. You're safe. Now, does that mean we should drive 180 miles an hour? Does that mean we shouldn't wear masks? Does that mean we shouldn't be careful? Of course not. But we are not in control of our own safety. We are not in control of our own health. Can we make good choices? Can we be careful? Can we? Yes. But God is the shepherd. Matt is not the shepherd. We can be confident. He anoints our head with oil. You know, they say for sheep that oil is one of the things that helps protect them from insects and pests that are dangerous. It's certainly a symbol of gladness in the Bible. My cup overflows. Look at verse six. Surely, surely, <laughs> certainly, it's like when Jesus said truly, truly, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life from when I'm two months old to when I'm a hundred years old. God's goodness and mercy will follow me. And you know that word follow isn't just like at a distance. It's actually God's promising to pursue you to the place that you are fully cared for. All the days of my life, and then it ends. Nope. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We know the end of the story. You are safe in God's shepherding care through this life, and you got a place to go when you die. Isn't that incredible? You say, yeah, it's Psalm 23. Whoopee. No, it's actually profound. It is stunning. It is, can I use this word? Life changing. I was just looking at one of the moms to be in our church family. We got a crew of those. <laughs> wow. We got Kaminsky's and Davis's and Smith's and Dolls and Bamers and we got babies, babies, babies. That's terrifying. Right? First time mom, terrifying. Yeah. I remember when Colleen had her C-section with Tim. Colleen always gets nervous when I do this. I remember when Colleen and our C-section with, with Tim, we went to the hospital because it was scheduled, which was awesome for me. I was like, schedule I could do. <laughs> when are we having the baby? Tuesday morning at five. Perfect. <laughs> Early morning on schedule. You tell it was a totally dumb first parent because we could have actually scheduled Monday, but I scheduled Tuesday because it lined up with my parents' anniversary and I thought that would be neat. Right, that's just dumb. When your wife is eight to nine months pregnant, schedule it. Just earlier the better. So I we went in, and we went to the doctor, and, and uh, the doctor said, hey, we're ready to go with the C-section. Have you been having any contractions? And Colleen's like, no, not that, not that I'm aware of. And they, they, they started to get it ready. They go, you've been having contractions for a few days now. We don't know. We're clueless. It's terrifying. And they're like, don't worry. We're just going to put a needle in your back and put your whole lower body to sleep. That's great. It's terrifying. And, we, and in some sense, we laugh only because it is terrifying. God is our shepherd. You know who's going to keep Bethany safe? Not Andrew. We all know that. <laughs> you know who's got more care for her and for that baby than anybody in this room or even anybody she's related to or even those doctors and nurses? God does. He is our shepherd. There's actually a really cool thought that struck me this week as I was thinking about this. As we think about God the Father as our great shepherd, we can think about Jesus as our good shepherd, the one who laid down his life for us like Daniel read. You know, I think we can think of the Holy Spirit as our daily shepherd. 
He's the one who just keeps on shepherding us all the way. So why don't we just live like the sheep we read about here? Why don't we just lie down in green pasture? Why don't we just walk through those dark valleys without worries? Why don't we feel safe and secure? Why do we feel like it's all going to come apart? Anybody feel that way? It's this. Because we're sheep. So we talked about the great shepherd. Let's talk about not so great sheep. It's fascinating to me that we have turned sheep into a derogatory word in our culture. Right? Because you don't want to be a sheeple. How could you? Do you know what God calls us all the time? Sheep. I've never played a game with my son that involves selecting animals where he selected a sheep. Hey, we're going to have a fight. I want to be the sheep. He wants to be a lion or a tiger. An elephant can stomp you to death. He really likes dragons, even though they're not real. He loves dinosaurs. He's a great T-Rex roar. He's never been like, Dad, you know what I want to be in our fight today? The sheep. Bah! <laughs> bah never scared anybody. Why? Because sheep aren't impressive. Can I share something with you? We all need a shepherd because we are sheep. You know what that looks like? That. <laughs> I thought this really captured it. I like the tongue out. I don't think it's a like, but I feel like that's sheep. And that's you and me. Can I ask you something? Fill in the blank. Sheep are great at, yeah, becoming wool. <laughs> grow, grow, grow. They're not so great. Here's one. Sheep are great at wandering. Isaiah 53 says this, all we like sheep have what? Gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had to send Jesus. God had to send Jesus to take our place and bear our sin. Because we just kept on, we were not just directionally challenged, we just kept on going the wrong way. A few years ago, we did a teen activity. I think it was probably eight or ten years ago at this point, called The Amazing Race with Our Teens. This was back in Indiana, and Indiana is much more of an agricultural society. We actually had a family in our church who kept sheep. I don't know how many they had, maybe like 20. And so as part of The Amazing Race, right, so you go from place to place and do, do tasks, as part of The Amazing Race, we did a sheep walk. So the teens had to lead sheep around kind of probably about a 100 foot by 50 foot rectangle. It's the front yard of these people. We made cones. You had to like take the sheep all around. Do you know how that went? Real, real bad. Why? Because sheep are stubborn. If you've spent any time with sheep. Anybody spent much time with sheep? That's what I thought. Sheep are stubborn. <laughs> Terry's got it. Stubborn. They are slow which was the frustration for the teens. They're like, we gotta win this race, come on, sheep. Okay, that doesn't work. When you start dragging sheep, you know what sheep do? They dig in. And then they fall on their knees. And then you're not going anywhere. They're stubborn, they're slow, they're not so smart. And let me give you one more. They're easily spooked. Come on, did I just not describe human beings? Did I not just describe what it's like for you to follow God? I mean, think about the besetting sin in your life. How long ago should that have been dealt with? And does it keep coming back? Do you keep running to those paths of worry and fear? Do you keep running to those paths of lust and greed? Do you keep running to those paths of anger? Do you? Because I do. 
I'm a sheep. I get out on my own way. And so are you. Some of us need to stop pretending that we're lions or horses. Sheep are not fast. They're not fast enough to run. They're not strong enough to fight. They're not intimidating enough to scare. They're sheep. It's humbling, but that's the honest truth, and that's you and me. What else are sheep good at? Sheep are great at sacrifices. Remember Romans 12, 1 and 2? Present your life as a what? Living sacrifice. Philippians 3, verse 10, Paul said that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. As sheep, do you know what we're supposed to get good at? Seeing God's power, learning how to suffer, and learning how to die. This is, this is remarkable. But that's the life God's called us to. If any person would come after me, let him what? Deny himself, that sounds like a sheep, take up his cross and follow me. So when we have opportunities or are placed in places where we suffer or we have to deny ourselves, we have to die to ourselves, you know what we should say? Yes, God, this is what you made me to be. You made me to be a sheep. Present myself as a living sacrifice. What's the ultimate picture of that? It's the great shepherd, the good shepherd, who was the lamb of God. I wonder if Jesus would be the one out here fighting for his freedom I wonder if he would be the one defending his case. I wonder if he would be the one standing up. Or if he would be the one peacefully, quietly, even to the cross. It's okay. What do sheep need? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to show you this. Sheep need shepherding. It's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? There's like a whole breed of dogs that have one job. Herd sheep. By the way, there's a remarkable video, video out there if you want to watch it of sheep dogs herding sheep into a sheep pen. Have any of you seen that? It's tremendous. It's like a, it's like a high view of sheep just being herded. It's amazing. First Peter chapter 5. So I exhort, for chapter 5 says, the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. So here's, here's God's truth for pastors. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You know what says our job as pastors is to be your shepherds? We're we're under shepherds, right? We're middle management. God is the chief shepherd. But do you know that just as children need parents, Christians need shepherds? Just as employees need employers, these are some of the Bible pictures. Just as citizens need a government, Christians need shepherds. And first and foremost, pastors are not primarily supposed to be inspiring visionaries, world-class public speakers, expert event planners, organizational and financial gurus, or even top-shelf crisis counselors. We are called to the spiritual care of a flock of sheep. You know what that means? We should know you. We should know you personally. We should know your family. We should know our sheep. And then we should shepherd. 
And a lot of times that's just feeding. Well, here, what does God do? He feeds, he leads, he protects. You know what our job is? To feed, to lead, to protect. Now again, in a society where I can handle this all on my own, that's kind of a weird dynamic. But it's what God has designed. That you should come here and hear God's word faithfully, that, that you should hear it from us when we're in your homes. That, that we, should, we should offer you guidance. We should even sometimes steer back in a way that might be a bit painful. Do you know that's our job? It's what God has called us to do. He hasn't called us first and foremost to manage budgets or plan great events or give compelling sermons every week. You could be a great pastor and not be compelling, but you can faithfully open God's word and feed. And if we really believe that we're sheep, because I'm not just a shepherd, I'm also a sheep. That's one thing that's great about having a group of pastors because I get shepherded. But if we really believe, and this is where I think our disconnects are, we think we're more lions than sheep, and we don't think we really need care or guidance or a hard conversation. But that's what God's called us to, to shepherd sheep. And we look at sheep, we go, no, duh, they need shepherds. But we look at church and we go, I, I would really like it if my pastor just did that. That's what God's called us to. Shepherds, or sheep need shepherds. But last one, sheep need to be together. Right, since we're starting the, the Together series, Sheep need flocks. You ever heard, like we talk all the time about a lone wolf. You know why we never talk about a lone sheep? What are lone sheep? What? Dinner. I know some Christians who think that they're best without a church family. They are wrong. God's designed us to be part of a flock. He, he's designed us to, to roam through this way, right? Because some of us are off wandering and one of the other sheep needs to be like, hey, Shepherd, hey! Some of us are discouraged. We need other sheep alongside of us. We need to be encouraged. We need to serve together and use our gifts. You know, many of us have all the gifts that this church needs. None of us. Right? So I need you and you need me. We need you and you need us. That's right, I point at the live stream camera. I'm talking to you. We need to be together. And this is far more than physical togetherness, although that's a part of it. This is sharing life together. That's what the word fellowship means, by the way. It means that people share life together. They know how to rejoice together and they know how to weep together. When we have a family in our church who are watching by live stream this morning because their plans for this Christmas were to go to a wedding, you say, oh, that's nice. It was the wedding of the guy's twin brother. And they took every precaution they knew how to take leading up and he had two coworkers test positive for COVID, and the day they were before they were supposed to fly out, he tested positive for COVID. You know where he is today? At home, in a room, by himself. Do you know who he was supposed to be? At a wedding of his twin brother. We need each other. God never planned us to be people who live in isolation. He planned us to be people who live in interaction. And we might have to get creative with that. That might be text, it might be Zoom, it might be whatever. But we need each other. Some of you have experienced that for a long time, just singing by yourself, right? Some of you are live streaming or singing by yourself at home. How's that going? <laughs> Making a joyful noise. Yeah, you are. 
Isn't there something about being in the room singing together that's powerful? You know why it's that way? Because God designed it that way. The word for church in the New Testament is the word for gathering. It's the word for being together. There are, there are countless one another's in the New Testament. You know why they're there? Because we need each other. We're designed to be together. We need you, you need us. So where does that leave us? How do we see the world? Do we see it like our society does? Look at all these powerful people. Look how they made it to the top. Look how they kind of did it on their own. First of all, that's not ever true. But it's a bit of our Americanism. It's a, some, some people call it rugged individualism. We are sheep. That's more of what it looks like. That's me and you. So can I ask you this morning, do you personally know God as your shepherd? Because none of this actually matters if you've never trusted Christ as your savior, if you're not one of his sheep. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. If you've acknowledged that you're a sinner, turned from your sin, trusted in Christ as your savior, called out to him to save you, then you're one of his sheep. But just because you're sitting in the room here today doesn't make you one of God's sheep. Are you really living like God is your shepherd? And this is where I want all of us, and this is what I've tried to do this week in my own heart, to say, are these things actually true about me? Because if I'm not living in content and calm, if I'm not willing to continue changing, if I'm not living in confidence, then those are just indicators that this is a theory to me, but it's not something I'm actually walking in day by day. And are you humbly learning to be one of God's sheep? I guess it's okay. Have you come up to me today and said, said, Matt, I've been hanging out with you. You got some issues. You know what I would say? Yup, I do. Is there one that God showed you that I need to hear about? And Stephen would go, yes, I've been with you in the teens, yes. He'd say, Matt, I've seen this and it, I just, I wanna pray with you about it. It concerns me. Can we talk about it? You know what I say as a sheep? Open season, open sheep season. You don't even hunt sheep, right? It's like, oh, come on. There's a humility to it, an honesty. I look around and I go, you know what? I don't have all the skills or gifts that this church needs. It's a good thing I'm not playing any of these instruments. For all of you, it's a good thing I'm not singing. I have done that. I have grieved for the people who had to sing under my leadership. I'm thankful. We need each other. Are we good with that? I mean, it's easy as our church grows that we kind of get comfortable in our little groups. Your family should not be your only little group. Kick yourself out of that. Meet some new people. It's good to see some faces again they haven't seen in a little bit. Those of you who are live streaming, you're gonna have like 50 people to meet. Good luck. God's designed us for this. We are his sheep. He is our shepherd. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful for who you are. We would be totally lost without you. Thank you that you care for us, that you guide us, that you protect us. God, you protect us from stuff we don't even know is, is there. And we confess that we are wandering, stubborn sheep. There are areas of sin, there are weights that we just continue to carry around in our lives that we need you to break. We need you to lead us into paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Or there are griefs and pains. There are people walking through dark valleys right now. God, would you be their shepherd? Would you help us to know how to come around each other? 
and encourage and help and confront when we need to. Lord, would you be the shepherd you have said you will be? We know you will. And would you help us to bow before you? Would there be the peace in our souls that there ought to be because you are our shepherd? It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.